you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. As we uh, go to the Lord this morning and ask for his blessing on the word, uh, many of you are aware there's quite a few who have tested positive for COVID. Um, so far, as far as we know, uh, everyone who's had it is experiencing mild symptoms to one degree or another. Doesn't mean they're not suffering. Some are suffering some. Uh, but as far as I know, no one's been hospitalized, and we're grateful for that, uh, thankful, because it, it can have some serious repercussions on someone's health. Let's hear the Lord and thank him and let's begin to uh, get back into the word. Father, as always, we are grateful. You are a good God in so many ways. And Father, we are truly, completely dependent upon you. We need you, Father, to sustain us. Not only, Father, to sustain our faith, but Father, we need you to sustain our health, to sustain our way of life, to sustain, to sustain our well-being. And Father, we know that you can be trusted. We know that you're always there for us. We know that you will never abandon us, and we are so grateful. We are thankful, Lord, that you are a faithful God. And Father, we ask you to help us to be faithful to you. We thank you, Lord, that as far as we know, those who have tested positive are, are doing fairly well, uh, experiencing, again, mild problems in one degree or another, but we're thankful, Lord, that none have yet to be hospitalized. We pray that that will continue to be the case. And we ask, Lord, that uh, the difficulties that we're having with this virus will soon pass away. In the meantime, Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to continue to look to you uh, for guidance, for direction, for understanding. And we ask this morning as we continue through uh, the last portions of 1 Corinthians, we ask, Father, again, that you will teach us and instruct us the Father, we may approach life in a biblical way, approach life in a way that uh, it is evident that our lives are centered upon Christ and upon accomplishing your will. And we do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 9, Paul writes, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now when you read through that passage, we know that uh, the word of God has been given to us for our instruction and for our benefit. And here in these few verses, Paul talks about some of his plans. So what do you do with that? I mean, a lot of times we read through commentaries, there'll be a brief note on this, and they go on to, I guess you would say, the more meatier stuff, maybe things are a little easier. So, but we're to glean something out of everything in the scripture. Nothing has been recorded uh, that's just kind of a filler. Uh, so we need, we need to think about it and uh, look at it. So in connection with what is being written here, turn to Ephesians chapter 5 for just a moment. Ephesians 5, and look at verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So there is kind of an overarching uh, idea 
that is presented here as to how we are to approach life regardless of the circumstances that we are facing, regardless of what is going on. That we are to examine our lives or look at our lives, think about our lives, think about the way that we're living, the way that we're living day by day, and in connection with that, to make sure that we're living wisely. That would be following what the Bible says. Then he adds that we're to make the best use of time. So it doesn't mean that it's sinful for you and I to have downtime. It definitely wasn't sinful for us to watch Georgia beat Clemson yesterday. Uh, but, you know, the, the idea, though, is that if you spend all your time doing that kind of thing, that can become a waste of time. And so we are to use our time wisely. And he tells us why. The reason why is because the days are evil. And I don't think we're going to get any pushback on that from believers. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in the world that just are just unnerving. Things that we just disagree with. Things that drive us crazy. Uh, and it's not just politicians, even though they have a lot to do with it. Uh, but the idea is, is that, that this is a responsibility that we have. So keeping that in mind then, as we think about what Paul has written about, his plans about you know, coming through Macedonia and spending time with the people in Corinth and what he's doing in Ephesus, because this is where he's at when he writes the letter. And so basically what he's saying is, is that he's careful in his use of time and he's just as careful with his use of time as he is with his use of money. And so again, Paul has informed his friends at Corinth of his plans. And so I want you to notice a couple of terms that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians. He says, for I intend, it's kind of a tentative way to phrase something. Then he says, perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter. And then he says, I hope to spend some time with you. Now, the entire plan that he has here is dependent on God's providential leading. It's if the Lord permits. In fact, his attitude towards his future plans is the same that he has stated in the book of, that's stated in the book of James. Turn to James 4 for just a moment. Uh, many of you have heard this passage before. James writes, and he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now what Paul is not saying is for you and I just to use the words. Don't just say, if the Lord wills, as some kind of a tag, you know, that you just add on to things to either make it sound spiritual or what have you. The idea here is that this is something that is to impact the way that you think and the plans that you make. So you can still make the same plans that he's already mentioned, but he wants us to remember that that's only going to happen if that's what the Lord wills. Then in conjunction with that, which we've already seen in, you know, in Ephesians, that, you know, we are to use our time wisely and and don't waste our time, and we do so because, you know, the days are evil. He also tells us here that your life is a mist. So sometimes every now and then, depending on certain times of the year, um, you know, I'll get up kind of early to drive, take a drive, and, and either to get a coffee or whatever, but you'll go out and there'll be this, this fog or this mist that appears uh, in different places in Savannah. And it's really cool. I really like it. But, you know, it doesn't last long. It's just kind of there, and then, you know, after a while, it's, it's gone. So your life is like that. 
Our life is extremely short. We, we should be aware of that. We already know that. We, you know, when you go to a funeral, even of someone who is 80 or 90, I think anyway that it's still, in a sense, it's too soon. It's too early. They, they haven't really been here that long. On one hand, it can sound like a long time, but as you get older, it doesn't seem to be that long. You know, it's just, it's short, and it is. And, and life is that way, and so that's what he tells us here. But he tells us then that if you are thinking about your life, or you're making your plan, and you are not including, not just the phrase, but the idea that these things will happen if it is God's will, that that is arrogance on your part. You are assuming way too much. And that is sin. In fact, for you to make plans without including or thinking about whether or not it is the will of God is actually viewed as being boasting in evil. You are excluding the Lord. That is, just in case you forget, that's the sin of ungodliness. Remember that back in Romans chapter 1, the Bible makes it clear that mankind in general is aware that God is angry about unrighteousness and ungodliness. And those two terms, again, are very distinct. Unrighteousness is the wrong things we actually do. Whether you, whether you rob someone or you lie to someone or you steal, that's unrighteousness. But ungodliness is very different. Ungodliness really has much more to do with omission. And it's the idea that you live your life without even considering who God is. Or you live your life as if God is unimportant or if God doesn't exist. That's the idea of ungodliness. That's what he's talking about here. That if you are approaching life and thinking about life and you're not including in your normal way of thinking about it uh, the will of God and what God has to do with all of these things, you now are boasting in an evil way. You are actually boasting in evil. That is ungodliness. And that's why he says then, whoever knows the right thing to do. What is the right thing to do in the immediate context? In the immediate context, this is not about helping someone across the street or do their grocery shopping. Those are good things. But what he's talking about here is the way we think and the way we approach life. And the way we think and approach the plans that we have for the future. And if we're not including in our minds, including in it the idea of the will of God and who God is, then it is sin for you to do that. So it's actually a pretty serious thing. God is concerned about the way that we not just live our lives, but the way that we approach life, the way that we think about life and the plans we make in life. So again, as I mentioned before, Paul was in Ephesus when he writes this letter, 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthians. Again, he had planned to travel to Macedonia uh, to be involved in ministry. He was going to winter at Corinth. Then after that, go to Judea with a collection that we talked about last week. But from November to February, it was almost impossible to travel by ship. So it would have been much more convenient for Paul to stay at Corinth and to be with his friends. But there were some problems to solve in the church. And so Paul had promised to come and help the leaders. Remember back in chapter 11, verses 33 and 34. So then my brothers, when I come together, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So he's planning on coming there and spending some time with them to help them through really many of the difficulties that they're having. But the circumstances that Paul found himself in caused him to revise his plans. In fact, he had to change his plans twice. His plan B was to visit Corinth, then travel through Macedonia, 
passing through Corinth a second time on his way to Judea. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia, and to come back to you from Macedonia, and have you send me on my way to Judea. So instead of one long visit, he actually planned two shorter visits. But that didn't materialize either. So he had a plan C. And plan C turned out to be a quick and a painful visit to Corinth. Painful because he was coming to kind of just make correction and kind of scold them. You know, Paul was an apostle. He had the authority. And he didn't want to just come in and, you know, look, these are all the things you're doing wrong. This is how you fix it and go on his way. That's kind of what he's going to have to do. That's what it ended up being. Uh, And so he kind of made this quick, painful visit to Corinth. He returns to Ephesus. And then he goes to Troas to wait for Titus, who had been sent uh, to Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them, and I went on to Macedonia. And then later on in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 5, he says, For even when we came into Macedonia... Our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. So putting all that together, basically Paul visited Macedonia, and then he went to Judea, He did not spend as much time at Corinth as he had hoped to or as even they had expected. So what do we do with all of this? What do we learn from this kind of difficult experience that Paul had? Well, putting all of it together, there's a few things. Number one, as Christians, we must use common sense. We must pray. We must study the situation and seek the best we can to determine the will of God. Now, when we do that, some individuals will quote from the book of Proverbs. Let me read to you. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I heard a really short way to make sure we don't misunderstand verse 5. I was a teenager. I was listening to Christian radio. I have no idea who the preacher was, but this is what he said. He said, when it says here, do not lean on your own understanding, he did not say to completely abandon it. All right, so the idea here is that we're not only trusting in our reasoning, but, that, but you don't throw out your brain in this whole process. So Paul, uh, you know, God does not want us again to abandon uh, uh, ourselves to our own understanding, but to incorporate what he says. God has given us a brain. He's given us a mind. He expects us to think. But again, he doesn't want us to depend only on our reasoning. So we need to pray, meditate on the word, even seek the counsel of mature Christian friends when it comes to the living of life and the plans that we make. He's not trying to make this some huge, big, involved thing that at every moment of your life, you have to have like some kind of big committee meeting as to what you're going to do tomorrow and next week and the year after. The idea is as you live your life, as we as we just kind of live life, you normally, on a daily basis, incorporate what you're learning from the Word of God about life, about God, about the responsibilities that He wants us to uh, fulfill, and to be aware of what's going on around us and make 
as wise decisions as you can based on all of that. That's, that's what he's saying. So we are acknowledging who God is. We are thinking about the will of God. So remember that when it comes to all these things, we're not only thinking about where I can start a business. I'm not only thinking about who I'm going to marry. The, I, all those things are important. But you must, at the same time, what does God want? So the, the simple illustration of that is, you know, if you want to get married, that's a great thing. But that can't be the only thing. We have to follow, God has something to say about everything. So you need to marry a believer. This is how, that's all there is to it. That's just it. So you incorporate that. There are many, many people who have ignored that very simple thing. And they've lived to regret it. There are some who have ignored that. And on one hand, they didn't live to regret it. And that's regrettable. Because normally what that means is, is they have drifted from the Lord. It's because they, and they, don't, they may not be experiencing any pain, but they're not living in the will of God. They're not able to influence others for the cause of Christ as God would want them to. There's an emptiness in their lives spiritually that they may not even be aware of, maybe for, for decades to come. And when that time comes and there's that emptiness, there's that lack of comfort, there's that lack of strength or whatever the, the situation may have, the, the idea there is, is that, that they're not equipped for that moment. They may experience a deeper sense of loneliness, a, a deeper sense of, of a lack of meaning or purposes. They may be more easily led astray. There's, a, there's much less comfort in life in dealing with the difficulties that just come with living life. There's a lot of negative things that take place. So it doesn't mean on one hand, as we look at it humanly speaking, their life falls apart, though it may, but we, we want to look at these things in the wisdom of the Lord and and what all of life entails, and not just the superficial things. So again, we must uh, use our common sense. We must pray, study the, the scriptures, study the situation, and again, do our best to determine the will of God for our lives. Secondly, it is possible, as we, and we know this, that our decisions may not always be the way we would say it is in the will of God. You might make a promise you can't keep, you may make plans that you cannot fulfill. Does that mean that you're a liar? Does it mean you're a failure? No. There were people at Corinth, by the way, who thought Paul was deceptive. They thought Paul couldn't be trusted because he would say one thing and, and not do it or what have you. But we know that from reading through the passages that we read, that even the Apostle Paul, remember Paul had been to heaven and back. I mean, this guy, he, he's done it all. Um, but he sometimes had to kind of revise his, his calendar. Because things didn't go the way he planned or the way he intended. So there's a couple of extremes we have to make sure we, we avoid. Now the reason all this is important is remember, he's just again finished telling us in chapter 15 and convincing us or giving us the evidence that we are to be uh, grateful for and we are to have a confidence in living because of the resurrection. That's a very real thing. You know, it's, and again remember that the, that the resurrection is not just some date on a calendar that's going to take place when we come to that date. That the resurrection is embodied in the person of Christ. He is the resurrection. He is the source of life. So we know this is going to happen no matter what happens on the calendar. It's going to happen. And because of that, we are to live differently. We are to think differently. Uh, we are to handle our money differently, as we talked about last week. This week, when it comes to, again, just making our plans, what we're going to be doing, uh, again, that's incorporated in all of this. So what we need to make sure we avoid is, number one, 
We don't want to be, whether the word is frightened is the right word or not, I'm unsure, but, but sometimes an individual is so frightened or they're paralyzed, they, they don't want to make a mistake, and so they make no decisions at all. Okay, that's not how God wants us to live. Okay, because of the resurrection, he wants us to live. He wants you to step out. He wants you to live life. He wants you to go out and do things. He wants you to fulfill the responsibilities he's given to you. Those responsibilities are not to be left undone. The responsibilities you have to your wife, to your husband, to your children, uh, to this living life. He expects you to fulfill those, again, as a believer. The spiritual responsibilities that we have for ourselves and for others. God expects us to fulfill those things. So we, we can't have this excuse that, well, you know, I don't know what the will of God is, and so I, I, I'm not really sure what to do, and we end up doing nothing. That is not what God wants. The other extreme would be to make impulsive decisions and to rush ahead without taking time to wait on the Lord. Now, I don't always know how long that is in every situation, what it means to wait on the Lord. I don't know how long that takes. I think there are times that it doesn't take long because God's already revealed his will. He's already told us what he wants us to do. You know, I remember talking to a guy once and he was, you know, he, he said he really wanted the will of God. And, and he said, I'm just not sure when I should marry my fiance, but I, I want to do it in God's timing. And I knew the situation. I said, no, you don't. I said, you don't care about God's timing at all. He goes, oh, no, you, you, I don't know why you think that. I, that's all I want. I said, your fiance is a Buddhist. She's not even a Christian. God's will is for you not to marry her. That's God's will. He's never going to give you a, a time to marry her, except maybe after her conversion to Christ. Now, he wasn't real happy with that. What I got was, well, I've talked to other preachers, and they don't say that. <laughs> I say, well, you know, that's what we do sometimes. You don't like what one preacher says, go find another. Right? You'll be able to find someone that agrees with you somewhere. You know, That's part of the problem with, uh, with, with Christian books. Christian books are great. I'm a big fan of reading. But you know, when it comes to certain things, certain maybe questionable or controversial kinds of, of topics, you can, if you want to, pretty much just believe whatever you want. You can find some Christian author who will agree with you. Uh, that's just not how we approach life, but that's what takes place. So we want to make sure that we are truly seeking the will of God, but at the same time, there's no need for us to, be, to, to live life where we're paralyzed. We are to, again, we are to live life in, in light of the, of the truth of the resurrection of Christ and the coming resurrection of each one of us who believe in him. So after we've done all that we can do to determine the leading of the Lord, again, we have to decide, we have to act, and we leave the rest to the Lord. If we are in some way out of his will, if you want to use that phrasing, he will work it out. It's going to work out the way he wants. You're not going to be able to subvert what he wants. And so we can live in freedom. God's not standing in heaven with a whip. Saying, if you can't figure this out, I'm going to crack it, and you are going to... He's not doing that. He wants us to take all these things into consideration and then live. And if there needs to be course correction, he'll make it happen. And there will be times when, you know, we have to be careful when we start saying that, well, I, I know this was God's will because the door was open. I know this was God's will because the door was closed. You know, that's just not always true. Just because the door is open doesn't mean you should walk through it. And just because the door is closed doesn't mean you shouldn't keep knocking. Right, we need to go back to the word. We need to go back to the Lord. We need to go back to those who are wise believers 
to seek God's will to determine what we should do because there are times we should keep knocking. There are times we should not go through an open door. It just does not automatically mean what we may want it to mean. We have to be very careful when it comes to how we interpret the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We want to make sure we're doing it right. I'm not saying that you may, that an open door, uh, if, that it somehow it would, it, it's sinful for you to walk through it. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is we need to seek the Lord. Truly live in light of what the Word of God says. And the only way that's going to happen for us is that it becomes just a regular part of our life to read the Scripture, to think about the Scripture. It's not some big, huge spiritual burden that God has placed on us. It's just gleaning the wisdom of the Word of God through the years that we're believers. And remember that God is actively involved in our lives, in our circumstances, and He's guiding and He is directing us. And very rarely, if ever, He's not going to write it out in the clouds. But he's, he's, light, he's leading and directing us through other believers, through his word, and yes, at times through circumstances. It is just, it's just super important that we really sincerely really want his will. Not our will disguised as his will, but we want his will. He guides us for his namesake, as it says in the Psalms, because it's his reputation that's at stake. So Paul says here that there was an open door of ministry in Ephesus that was important to him. For him, that meant to win the loss in Ephesus. And, and basically, as, as I think Warren Wiersbe said this, he said, Paul wanted to go to Ephesus and win the lost. He did not want to go to Corinth and pamper those who were already saved. And that's kind of maybe what he, he might have been thinking that when it came to uh, that dilemma he was facing. So Paul was not an overt optimist. He was not overly pessimistic. He was just simply a realist when it came to life. He saw opportunities and he saw obstacles. So 1 Corinthians 16, 8, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So he's aware he's, there's this open door, and he is going to take advantage of it. <coughs> in 2 Corinthians, he mentions about there being an open door, and he still felt uncomfortable, and he didn't go through it. But here, he talks about this open door. So, so Paul says this, what we want to make sure we don't do is don't just dismiss this because this is written by Paul the Apostle. Because sometimes we may think, well, but this is his job. He, he's an apostle. And so, of course, there's an open door for ministry. He, he needs to stay there and do this. Paul, like Jesus and others in the Bible, they're examples for all of us. We glean things from their life and it helps us know how we are to live. God has called all of us to do ministry, not just certain individuals. Our ministries will, 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 on one hand, may look very different. And the amount of time that we spend doing the work of ministry may be very different. But God has called all of us to share the gospel of Christ with both believers and non-believers. To share the gospel with believers so that we can be reminded and understand how we are to live in light of what the gospel says. This is, what, this is what it means to live in wisdom. And then to seek and find opportunities that the Lord gives us to share the gospel with the unbelievers. And there are times that that only means a, a short portion uh, of, of the Bible or of Christianity that we share. At other times, it may be an elongated conversation that we get involved in. Uh, but the idea is, is that that's how we are thinking. And when God gives us these open doors, that's, that's what we use. It's a very practical way of thinking about this. And I think I, I read this, um, I was reading a book by Mark Dever once. 
And he was talking about this kind of thing. And so he, he just mentioned that, you know, in the community that he lives in, uh, whatever dry cleaner you go to, you just go to that same dry cleaner all the time, even if the dry cleaner down the street has a better price. And the reason for that is this. As you keep frequenting a business, you get to know the people there. They get to know you. That's what leads to other conversations that go beyond, how are you doing, the weather's nice, glad Georgia won. Those are great in passing, but we want to get beyond that. You can't get beyond that if you're always switching businesses, always looking for the best deal. Now, I'm all for saving money, but what should guide us as Christians is the relationships that we can establish with other people. And the longer you're a believer, it's already at times difficult to find ways to converse with non-believers. Because the longer you live your life as a believer, the more people in your life are believers. That's who your friends are. That's who your, maybe your fishing buddies are. I mean, we just do a lot of things together. So we've got to find ways to, to make contact with non-believers. It's important. And so you do that. And as we do that, we ask God to give us wisdom and direction and give us opportunities, recognizing that there's going to be adversaries. And, and we, we see that, and we ask God to give us boldness and strength, and we move forward in that way. That way, as you live your life, you're always seeking the will of God. So even when it comes to maybe other decisions, like the job that you're in now, and, and maybe you have opportunities to get another job, I hope as a believer that as you pray for wisdom, that you're asking God if it's even his will for you to change jobs, because it may not be. The other job may offer better hours. That, that could be good, not necessarily. It may offer better pay. That may be good, not necessarily. Because our goal in life is not just to make more money. Making more money can be good. It's not the goal in life. That's down, down the thing. Our goal in life is not just to have better hours. Better hours for what? To accomplish what? And we have to ask because we're Christians. We have to ask ourselves that. A friend of mine, his father worked on the docks in Hawaii. This was a long time ago. And his father had been a foreman um, there on the docks for, uh, for decades. And so he was offered an opportunity to move into management. He was going to make a lot more money. He was making good money then, but he was going to make a lot more money, and, and he would have uh, out, uh, what we would call more regular hours. I guess people call them banking hours still. But anyway, he would go to work later, and, and, but get off later. And uh, as he and his wife were talking about it, uh, he, he turned it down. And his boss said, why would you turn this down? You're... You're going to make a significantly large amount of money. And he says, yeah, but that's not my only goal in life. And his boss was like, what? He said, well, right now, you know, I come to work early, but I get off every day at 2 o'clock. My sons get home from school at 3. Their friends come over to our house, and I feed them. Sometimes they pay back my house, and I have a ministry to these high school kids that if I take this job, that's over. Because I don't get home till six. I am convinced that, that is what God wants me to do. And this better hours and more money is actually not an open door from God, but is an attempt from the evil one to pull me away from what is most important. Amen. That's how you approach life. I'm not saying everybody who's offered a job that pays you better and gives you better hours isn't wrong. 
All I'm saying is that's how we are to approach life as Christians. That's what Paul, I think, is getting at here and what we should glean from what he's talking about. And so again, God had opened a great door for effective work. And Paul wanted to seize the moment, seize the opportunities while they were still there. Once we know what to do, we must do it and not delay. Many times we can usually think of many reasons or excuses maybe not to act. Even though Paul was in danger in Ephesus, he planned to remain there as long as that door was open. Like a wise merchant, he wanted to buy up the opportunity before it vanished and would never return. That is why there are times certain missionaries will stay in a real dangerous place even when they've been asked to return home. It's because of how they're approaching all of it. They're not being stupid. The world views it as being foolish. God doesn't. It doesn't mean that those who then return from places dangerous, that they're necessarily cowards. It doesn't mean that. We don't know that. But if these individuals are seeking the will of God and thinking about what God wants and they're looking at the entire situation and what they've gleaned from Scripture and, and they want the will of God for their lives, then in each of those occasions they're going to be making the appropriate decision. So we have really what you might call a stewardship of opportunity. It is important. So the individual believer, the church family, we must always ask ourselves, what opportunities is God giving us today? Instead of complaining about the obstacles that we're facing, we need to take advantage of the opportunities and leave the results with the Lord. I think, uh, you know, when it came last year with all of the many, many uh, restrictions that came because of COVID, um, a lot of our mission, actually all of our missionaries were deeply affected by these restrictions. You know, it just interferes with how you normally do ministry. And I think all of them except for one that I've talked to, um, they sought the Lord and they worked hard and diligently to find a way to be effective. In some cases, it was working with a lot fewer people and, and they sought to overcome challenges. Uh, others met in what we might call strange ways to uh, help people, like you know the idea of still meeting somebody in public, but you're you're standing six feet apart. You know, of course that might be a great way to witness. You know, go downtown to River Street and I'll say, "Hey, Cole, you know, <laughs> have you heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ?" And he goes, "Why, no, tell me." You know, and everybody's like, "Well, these we've got you know well, social distancing, you know, and so we have to yell at each other." But you know, you can do that. There's a lot of ways to do this, but the idea is, is that they, they were seeking to find ways to serve the Lord, and they did. They didn't just look at the obstacles, which is easy to do. And so whatever it happens to be, whether it's restrictions with COVID or something else, we, we can approach life really with great freedom, without fear. We don't have to be paralyzed by what's the will of God. We can seek the will of God, do the things that we've outlined here, and then you're free to act and live. And we can do so with clarity because of the resurrection of Christ and because of our future resurrection. And so we can, we can live with no fear. It's just, a, it's just great freedom that we can have. And sometimes it can be amazing the kinds of doors that God will open and the kinds of opportunities that will come our way. And sometimes even more surprising, the kind of fruit that may come from that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again just for your word, and for the things that Paul spoke about here. We do pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to look at our lives 
and to think about our lives in light of what your word says. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to be individuals who truly seek your will, but also who are engaged in finding your will, thinking about the scripture, studying the Bible, spending time in prayer, spending time talking with, with wise believers, studying the situations that we find ourselves in. We pray that you would guide and direct our thoughts. We ask, Lord, you help us to recognize opportunities that you give us. Help us, Father, to never be fearful of obstacles that may stand in our way. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to live really a, a robust life. We ask, Lord, that you would give us the grace that we need and the strength and maybe the boldness that we need to take on the challenges and the opportunities that come our way. We thank you, Lord, again, and ask you to remind us that we do carry the message of Christ, that you seek to use us to deliver the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are lost and to those who are yet to believe. And we thank you, Lord, that we do have the message of hope and that we know the message of hope because we know Christ. Father, we ask for your blessing today and we ask that you cause these things to be burned deep into our hearts and mind, that you would bring them to our remembrance throughout the week and we would think about them often, meditate upon them, and that we would become different. We do thank you and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.